progressing through the book of Acts and Acts 15 today. Uh, Travis had a very lively Sunday school class today. And uh, as a result, it actually all coalesced with what we're going to be looking at in Acts 15. Something that we've all had to deal with from time to time, the issue of compromise. Everyone knows the word. And uh, I'm going to be talking today out of Acts 15 about the art of godly compromise. Now compromise, we know, can often be uh, used in a negative sense or, or, a, uh, or a positive sense. So generally speaking, when the word compromise is introduced into a conversation, it engenders thoughts of p- capitulation to the negative. You know, uh, taking some of what is right and making it wrong. You compromise, you give up what's right in order to make peace and you end up with a wrong solution, or sometimes it's surrendering to error. That's what we think of when we think about compromise. But unfortunately, uh, we often, too often, let the world dictate to us what words should mean. And as a result, we've lost many good words along the way. But I think we should be true to language and go back and redeem some of those things. So sometimes in the church... We're forced to find by digging into the complexities of the body of Christ, not what is just the uh, beauty, if you will, but what is truest. Not what is best, but what is true. Sometimes in the church, we have two decisions between what is true and what is truer. And that's what we're forced to deal with. And this is where we come into the issue of, of what compromise should be as it pertains to the church. And so uh, Vance Havner once wrote, uh, opportunity, or I should say, uh, opportunity brings opposition. You know, many times when the church is growing, it enters into a phase where you, you begin to have some skirmishes. You begin to have a few divisions happening in the body. And really what it is, is everyone's wanting to do right, but oftentimes what's lost is the unity in doing the right finding out what is correct. Not, not that the other is maybe sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's obviously clear uh, that churches are seeking to compromise in areas that are wrong. Just for, just for a, a case of an example, um, many churches have decided that maybe they need to go back and take another look at uh, gender roles in the church or even taking up the issue of is homosexual marriage wrong in the church? Now, in that case, the Bible's spoken very clearly on those issues, and if you go back to discuss it, you really are trying to find a compromise in the negative. And many times they do often go down into the negative, and they try to find things written there that aren't. But in the case of what happened in Acts 15, in the growing church, as, as the church is growing amongst a strong, predominantly Jewish culture, Gentiles are beginning to get saved. And these Jews who are trying to do right are causing problems for unity in the church. And it's really that simple. We must overcome, or we must work together to overcome strife for the kingdom of God. Now, if you've been a part of God's church for very long, genuinely saved and part of God's church for very long, you're going to encounter church troubles Okay, it's just we're sinners and don't ever get too far away from the gospel. My father-in-law who worked in the oil field his whole life in Oklahoma always said 
that the most safest jobs are those that are closest to the wellhead. The farther away you get from the wellhead, the more likely it is you're going to lose your job first. So, we have to stay close to Scripture in all things. And when we do, the very... the the closest thing that you can come to in understanding what the theme of Scripture is about, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we are sinful people. There's never a time in this life when you will not be sinful. Just want to break it to you. Now, don't think then that I am giving you a license to say, oh then, I'm going to go ahead and persist about in my wickedness. Because if Jesus has truly saved you, you should have on the radar of your heart an early warning system that says you're heading into some troublesome times. You're developing a bad habit. You're developing a bad thought process. You're developing a wrong attitude. The the lights and buzzers are sounding. You need to stop. You need to take an inventory of where you're going because if you're truly born again, the Lord in the the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper of God, is going to be telling you that. So that's closest to the wellhead, that we're sinners. That there'll never be a time come when we won't be sinners. But the other part closest to the wellhead is that we have a great Savior. That has overcome the world. And that Jesus in us is sanctifying us and perfecting us into his image day by day, little by little. And is, and is slowly extrapolating, extracting out that, that bad stuff in us called sin so that we're becoming more into his image, not our own. That's closest to the wellhead. So then you can imagine a church full of people who've come from brokenness and baggage and abuse and wrong thinking and misinformation and lies and we all get folded into one ginormous stew of humanity but a humanity that's redeemed by the commonality of Jesus. I don't even know why I bother making notes because I haven't even looked at the whole thing. Okay, so I'm just going to go with it. Okay? Acts 15 then, if you turn to the very... Acts 15 verse 1 starts out then close to the wellhead. I don't even need the book today. What what do I do with all that? Anyway, so I'm going to just go over here. And, and go to my red tabby. And Acts 15 verse 1. Now read this. And certain men came down from Judah and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Bad deal. Bad doctrine. Bad teaching. These certain men though, see, as Gentiles, we're like, go away. Go crawl back under the rock you slid out from under. Right? But we have to remember these were, these were Jewish Christians. They were saved. They received the Messiah. Their whole life up to this point had been Mosaic, Moses 
and the law. Moses and the law. Moses and the law. All the dietary law, everything. It's what they knew. It's that's their culture. It's their entire concept. Now they're seeing Gentiles come into the fold that are becoming Christians that have been muddied up with the, with the pagan world, the Gentile world. And they're like, wait, you guys should keep the law of Moses and you need to be circumcised. You can't be saved. We're quick to condemn them. I have for so many years as I've preached through this, been quick to condemn only until this study have I understood that they really were trying to do right. They really were. They were trying to preserve God's name. That's See, in the Jewish mindset, and still today, and it's so sad, but back right here, they wanted to preserve and bring glory to the name of God by being true to what God had said. They were like the Gentiles in the sense that Jesus was brand new. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us out of John was brand new. I mean, and we beheld his glory. There he was. We walked with him. We, 33 years we, we knew him and we walked and we saw the miracles. He came to fulfill all the law and the prophets and to prove it, he rose from the dead and that's great and we believe, but what do we do with all this, this baggage? So... You have what, you know, many times in step families, they call them blended families. And I always like to call them collision families. Okay. I, I had six growing up and there was nothing blend about it. Blend would have been a good term. It was more like boom and it just was collision and just there's strife. So that's what this is about. Finding godly compromise to these solutions now let's read on down let's read on down here certain men came and they taught that the brethren unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses you cannot be saved verse 2 therefore when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question so notice this Paul and Barnabas got into a spat with them. There's some people that I hate to see get angry or frustrated in the flesh because they're, when you take very calm people and you finally push them to their limits where they do that, it is so sad. Okay? One man that I have never seen lose it altogether is Rich. I mean... We've been through many airports, totally fatigued and hangry, and he just always has his bearings. And I can honestly say I've never seen him lose his, blow his top. But I got to thinking one day, I would really hate to see him blow his top. Because that would just be sad. It's like, oh, man, good record. You just, no. It's ugly. You know, it's like the ugly cry. You don't want to see that. Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is the son of encouragement and he got into a... Yeah, yeah. So they went up to Jerusalem to find out the answer to this question. So there was a question obviously posed and typically in every stressful situation in the church there's a question posed. Here's one. How often should we have communion? 
Well, this side says every single Sunday, and this side says as often as you do it, and both sides want to honor God with communion. Yada, 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 and blah, 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 and in the middle are like the pastor going, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> okay. And we want to do what's right. What is right? What is right? And that's what they're after here. So being sent on their way in verse 3, by the church with a mandate, figure this out. That's the mandate. They passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. So there's still good things happening in the midst of controversy. God is not limited by our controversy, but often we shoot ourselves in the foot in our effectiveness by having it. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they received by the church, they were received by the church, and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, therefore, rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. This was their whole problem. Do you know how easy it is for us today in 2021? to read this and go, well, they're just being strict Pharisees. Give them a break, though. That's all they know. This is the church. It's still wet behind the ears, so to speak. Like a brand new baby calf out in the pasture that's still just shiny with all of that water from, from being born. They didn't know what to do. They both wanted what was right. And the Apostles and the elders were stuck dead center, ground zero, on the issue. Now many times in the church what happens is you have factions that develop. Because maybe they like the personality of the elder or the apostle. Or whatever, the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. And they want to take sides. The, these, these, the apostles and the elders that we're reading about here, they, give, they have one side that they're on. And that is God. God's side. So let's read what happens. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And that just simply means they came together and talked as men reasonably. And they considered what was happening. They knew the problem. But they got together and they communicated. What happens in church conflict so many times is people stop talking. They start reacting. Well, you people over there won't have communion every Sunday. Don't realize that you're just making it a, a pointless ritual. Well, you people over there that want to have it however often don't realize that, that you're just blowing off the Scripture and how important it is. That's not conversation. Let's go back to the question. What do we want? We, we, we want to honor God. Well, this isn't how we do it. So, we take the only authority there is. And you know, many times, we have to cover much Scripture to find the answer. People like to have proof text for their answers, and they'll say, here's a verse, I'm going to extract it from the entirety of its context. I'm going to nail it on the wall, I'm going to draw arrows to point to it and say, see, I'm right. To which a wise person would go and say, well, let's take that very truth, plug it back into its context, and see the greater truth that surrounds it. 
Verse 7. And when there had been much dispute, again, you can imagine the intensity. Peter rose up and said, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That happened in Acts chapter 10. I'm sure he's referring to not only what happened at Pentecost in some ways, but also in Acts chapter 10 when he went to Cornelius' house. And Peter himself had a lesson in, yes, the Gentiles are included too. Okay, by the way, just this is a side note because I am so not in my notes today. I had a thought as I was listening to some, uh, Chris calls it end timesy stuff. Thanks for ruining that for me, by the way. The word is eschatology, but it's end timesy stuff to him. The Bible says that we as the goyim, the Gentiles, have been grafted in to Israel. We've been grafted in, right? We've been been put into the tree. So that automatically eliminates any kind of teaching that does away with Ethnic or national Israel. Boots it. Boom. There is no replace. The church is clearly not the replacement for Israel. (laughs) We were grafted into Israel. We're part of the story now. So we are, we cannot forget our Jewish roots as Gentile believers. We have a Jewish Messiah. We read a Jewish Bible, okay, and we like to read Jewish prophets, right? So we're looking forward to God's redemptive plan for the Jewish nation as people who've been grafted into that tree. Just a side note, put a pin in it. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. End times over. Peter saying, remember about my issue and my sheet experience. And then he says in verse 9, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Because whether you are a Jew or whether you are a Gentile, you must believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, repent of your sin, and receive by faith that remittance with which he paid through repentance to be saved, whether Jew or Greek. You have to come by faith. That's what he's saying. Now therefore, verse 10, Peter gets, now finally the leader is leading and he says, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And he's raising a hard issue with them at this point because if the Jews, even the, the Pharisees that believed would have to admit, yes, it's hard. I can't even maintain this. And of course you would have to understand too that these Jews that were committed to the Mosaic Law as they come to Christ in faith would say, Lord forgive me for I am a sinner clearly admitting by the very fact that they're becoming Christians and receiving the Messiah, Jesus, they admit that they can't keep the law to be saved. For the law cannot 
make those perfect who come to God. It can only show our guilt. And that was its job. You know, the law doesn't help me drive 55. It simply reminds me that that I break it. Okay? I mean, it serves as a reminder that this is the speed limit. But there's a nature in me sometimes that wishes that it could just bump up a little. Okay? The law doesn't change my heart. It just reveals it. And clearly for these Jews, Peter is reminding them here that that's the problem. But we believe in verse 11. That through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Now notice again what he says. The same manner as they. The same manner as... Do you understand how... I'm just going to say racist. These Jews were against Gentiles at this time. You think black and white stuff's bad. You should have... Well, even in fact, today, Rich was talking about when he was over there, there were, in restaurants, I believe, blue chairs and red chairs or something, or red and white. And one was for the Jew and one was for the Gentile. So, the same to come to Christ. Verse 12, then all the multitude, now notice the response in verse 12, the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul Declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Why do you think they talked about that? It's really simple. Because that's exactly what God, what God did when Pentecost came. That's exactly what God did through the Jews that believed in those chapter 2 events of Acts. And he's saying, see, God is doing it the same exact way with the Gentiles that he did with us. Thus, confirming the sameness. Of coming to Christ by faith. So, then, stop trying to, to, to yoke them with Mosaic law and circumcision. So, they're getting their comeuppance a little bit on that, saying, you, you didn't find perfection in it. Don't slap it on to them. And they had a long talk about that. And then in verse 13, after they had become silent, then we have another big leader speaking, James. James is speaking, and he says, Men and brethren, listen to me. (laughs) Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Now we're, what are we referring to as our ultimate authority here? So, Peter's spoken. Paul and Barnabas have spoken. James has spoken. And now what has James finally pulled it all back to? Scripture. In fact, Hosea chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. No, I I think. Hosea chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. It says this, after this, and James is quoting, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Now notice it says the, the rest of mankind, meaning Gentiles. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all of these things. And then, if that wasn't enough, James has to remind them, known to God from eternity are all his works. We can take great comfort when controversy comes in the church knowing that God is sovereign over all. Our main issue 
is to stay close to the wellhead. We can't forget that we are sinful people. And so if I'm busy trying to point out sin in you, I'm beginning to overlook it in me. That doesn't mean, though, that we aren't to be accountable to one another. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront one another when we're getting backward. But it's also not an excuse to carry on in controversy because we're afraid to speak speak the truth. Vance Havner had an interesting quote. Anyone know who he is? You'll have to Google him. Uh, But he was an old preacher. He was born back in the black and white days. And... uh, But he died in color days. So he said the devil is not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. He is producing a counterfeit Christianity. So much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. He said a lot of other things too. For example, he said the average church member doesn't even give the devil enough trouble to get his attention. (laughs) That's Van Tavener for you. Okay. Verse 8, but as we go back here to where I was in verse 18, James is bringing sort of this culmination to this argument from what does the Scripture say? What should be underneath? It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship on our church sign. What should be under that if there could be a second tagline? Read your Bibles. (laughs) Just, you have no idea. You can't imagine how much clearer your thinking will get and your life will clean up And all of the acid would be neutralized if you just subject yourself in a discipline, a fervent discipline every day to your Bibles. Read your Bible every single day. Put it in when you don't feel like it. Put it in when you do feel like it. If you don't understand it, read it anyway. God understands it and will pull it out according to the promise when you need it. It's amazing. But if you don't put it in, all you are is like algae. You just burp in gas all the time. Okay, so put the Scripture in and speak what is true. Have the Scripture inside of you so that when you go through these dark episodes, and you will, wait a few minutes, then you too can have the truth of God speaking into your soul and then out of your mouth will come this issue of, hey, I can't get too far away from the wellhead. Okay, I'll just put it up. Um, Verse 19, therefore I judge. Sometimes somebody has to step up and say, enough. James does this, and he says, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. What What a wonderful thing. I'm so thankful. I'm so glad that, uh, that I don't have to go do those things over there to satisfy a group. That I have to satisfy one. Jesus. The one who hung on the cross for me. The one who bled for me. The one who bore my shame for me. He's the one that, that I have to please. And, and when I please Him, now here's the, 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 the cause and effect, if you will, the consequence When I please Him, I will also be pleasing to the brethren. Because God works all things and does all things well. You see, 
when a man's ways please the God, when, when a man's ways please God, he will make even his enemies to be at peace with him. That doesn't mean they'll like you, but God just does something with the testimony of his vibrant power working in his children because we are keeping the scripture and holiness, humility, love. If we're not doing that, the controversy that erupts in the church can blow it to smithereens. That's, that's not finding a godly solution. That's just posturing. Now, here is the list then that we're going to get into in verse 20 of what the Jerusalem council gave the Gentile church to do. And, and it finally occurred to me as I was reading this, why did they have to have a list? I always thought it was just to make the Jewish believers happy. And in part, that's some of it. But it's so much richer than that. So let's read through the list and then I'll tell you why. Now remember, we must work together to overcome strife for the kingdom of God. We write to them, verse 20, to abstain from things polluted by idols. Okay, that's number one. Number two, from sexual immorality. Number three, from things strangled. And number four, from blood. Well, why those things? What's the deal? Here's why. The apostles and the elders, while correcting the Jewish believers that were Pharisees about keeping the Mosaic Law and being circumcised, understood that their problem was they were very sensitive to bringing blasphemy or shame upon the name of God. These things that, they were, that were listed here, these, these four things, these were all things that many of the Gentiles were a part of before becoming Christians because this was how they worshipped. This was part of their idolatry. The, the, uh, the things polluted by idols, they would go into these temples and there would be these idols. Temple, uh, typically there would be prostitutes in these idols. There would be meat offered on these idols that were oftentimes strangled before to kill it and then skin and their blood poured out and all these things. This was what the Jewish mind was going to. It's what it was thinking. That's what they were seeing in their mind. So then they're seeing these Gentiles become Christians from, from that horrific mess coming into the church. And they're like, you guys should have to do something. <laughs> you, you have mustard on your shirt. You know, you... you You've, you're dirty, you're, whoa, not clean, like, whoo. I think it would be no different than if we were to imagine what went on perhaps in a satanic church today. When these people come in, you know, sin leaves a mark, right? Did you know that? You ever thought about that? Sin will, will definitely leave a mark. One of the, one of the guys, and, and I'd ever listened to his music, <laughs> that stands out in my head right now is the, there was a guy that played for a group called Korn. K-O-R-N. And his name was Brian something. Thank you. 
so. <laughs> Head was his nickname? Okay. Thank you. Well, if you've ever seen this man, he had, he, he, I don't know if he still does. I don't know, I hadn't seen him a while, but when he first became a Christian, he had this stringy black hair. There wasn't an inch of his skin that had not been touched by an ink needle of a tattoo artist. And, and who knows what it says. Just every inch just a darkness was, I mean, he was in this. And he talked about his life was total darkness. And he becomes a Christian and, and he's not there anymore. And so I would imagine, I, I didn't read too much more into his stuff, but a man like him coming out of that years of lifestyle and coming, let's say he came into a church like ours. Probably like, you know, because we're not used to seeing that. I mean, he would have to respect that too. But we would all wonder, wow, feller, (laughs) what are you all about? (laughs) Because, you know, sometimes sin leaves a mark and it doesn't come off very easy. We have to be willing to to look at the heart here. And, you know, it'd be really cool if God brought us people like that, I think. Just... You know, people that have come to Jesus and they said, hey, I've been there. Now I'm here. These Jews were no different. They were seeing these Gentiles come in and can you imagine how hard it would be for them to, to sit next to in worship. So here they are in church service and they sit down and all of a sudden there's this Gentile believer who maybe last week they actually saw carrying a carcass over his shoulder, the blood dripping down. They're not supposed to do that. <laughs> Don't touch what is unclean, you know. But they're under Jesus now. Can you imagine how hard that might have been? And James takes them back to this. To you Gentiles. Respect your Jewish brethren. Separate from that stuff. Don't do that. And if you've done it, well, that's in the past. Leave your past in the past. You're in Jesus now. So don't, don't, don't do those things. Don't go hanging around and messing with that stuff. Don't do that. Because you need to have respect for your Jew- Jewish brethren here. We are the church. This was the compromise. This was the godly solution. And so as we read on down, it gets official. Verse 21, Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. The Gentiles should know that their Jewish brethren were sensitive to these things. So it was not unreasonable. So it pleased the apostles in verse 22 and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who also was named Barsabbas and Silas, leading men to the brethren. And they wrote this letter. And here's what they wrote. The apostles and the elders, now we have, and the brethren. So what, what's happened here? There has been a godly compromise. Peace has been reached. And now there's unity. I, wanna, I have a verse here for unity. Uh, here it is. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. 
specifically the beard of Aaron. Now, what was Aaron? High priest. Running down on the edge of his garments. This was his anointing, by the way. This was, this was a, a, an image of, of the Holy Spirit cleansing and making Aaron ready to do his job as high priest. They're likening pleasantry, the pleasantness of brethren dwelling together in unity like this. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It is good for the brethren to dwell in unity. To the brethren who are the Gentiles of Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by the word of mouth, because... By two or more witness, let every word be established, right? They're going right down the law here. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. And I love this because he speaks, okay? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Necessary for what? Necessary for the peace and unity of the new thing called the church that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And it says, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. It's, it's not unreasonable. It's good. Live clean. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered their letter And when they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Don't you think that would be encouraging? When solution is found in church controversy, don't you think that would be encouraging? When when the brethren come together and say, we agree with our leadership wholeheartedly because the Word of God ultimately has spoken, isn't that encouraging? So verse 32 Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. And Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now, here's something that's really interesting. Before I lose you, I want to get this last part. There was a huge early division happening in the church in the book of Acts. And it was between the Jews and the Gentiles. And they came together as a body and resolved the issue with godly character. Knowing the Scripture, applying it, and and, and showing grace to one another. And they came up with this Jewish, or with this Jerusalem mandate. And they achieved it. And everyone celebrated. But let me tell you something about strife in the Christian life. It's never over for very long. 
Here's the irony that this chapter ends with. Look in verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, member, son of encouragement, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. That's a good idea. Let's do that. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one whom had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now notice verse 39. Then contention. Contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We have a chapter that begins with strife, and then it ends in it, but in a whole different area. Paul and Barnabas, the champions for the Gentiles, the ones who were part of the solution for the church, have now in them own, their own right had a sharp enough dissension that they parted ways. They've been together for a long time to the, at this point. A long, long time. And they got in a fuss. If you read later, you'll see that in 2 Timothy, I believe, that Paul requests John Mark to come because he's useful to him for ministry. There was a change happened. So what's the, what's the encouragement here? Well, in keeping with our title, again, don't ever get too far from the wellhead. It doesn't even matter if you're an apostle. You still need grace. You still a sinner. You still Lieutenant Dan. Remember that? Thanks. <laughs> in the back. <laughs> but we, we will never get to a point to where we glide across the surface of the earth we all have the nasty proclivity to disintegrate into the flesh but thank God that we have a greater savior that reminds us of who we are in Christ and what he wants us to become now here's where it shows up and I'll end with this You've been a Christian for a little while. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. You think you should be up here by now. You've overcome a struggle. Maybe your temper got the best of you. Maybe it's been just having you for lunch for a month. You don't know where it come from. Just the things that you're tempted to do. The struggles that you're facing. And you think, if, if this is the summation of my Christian diligence to this date I just need to go lock myself in a room and wait to die the devil will always shame you once you're down that's that's what he does the flesh will knock you down and the devil will come along and put his boot on your neck and shame you while you're there Jesus says just come with me and set for a while. Because His grace is sufficient for whatever your struggle. Don't get too far away from the wellhead. And that's your problem, I think, as we begin to think, I should be so much more mature by now. I don't think you'll ever out-mature sin. But I think you will mature enough to know where to go 
when its clutches are on you. That's the difference between an older saint and a younger saint. Is what you do in response to the fight. Are you in the fight? Are you wrestling? Then you get on your face before God and you stay there till there's victory. Then you get in your word and you stay in his precepts until there's solution found. You wrestle with God. You get there and you say, I need this resolved. Each day you live, you look for God's evidence in his bringing that resolution. You know yourself. You have character flaws. I don't know if you're aware of them. I do. I don't know why in me, because I, 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 like, I, I, I use myself as an example because I can't pick on you because you get mad, but I can pick on me. For whatever reason in my life, I, I can't tell you why. I don't know. If I begin to get in a hurry, because I got a high gear in me, man. It just goes from one, two to like seven. And then when I get in a hurry, when I start hurrying, I tend to get mean. I, I tend to get irritable. It's snippy. Why? I don't know why. can't tell you. But I know this about me. So what do you think I'm doing every day? Man, I got both hands on the emergency brake and I'm ready to yank because I'll feel myself begin to rev up and I got to pull back on that thing because I know me. At first, I didn't pay much attention. I just, you know, I would, I would just get like that and go, well, that's just, you know, sorry. But I know that's in me now. At this age, finally, thankfully. So I keep my hands on that brake all the time because I know that it's there. And I think when we know ourselves well enough to admit that we're wrecks, <laughs> then Jesus can say, now, you trust me. Your instinct is to get fast. My instinct is to make you close. Controversy operates no different. If we all come together like that, we'll find the solution because we're seeking Him. I'm going to ask JT to come. I don't know what you may have gleaned from this message today, but I do know this. The one thing that made it all work in Acts 15 was the very real living presence of Jesus. He can overcome the Jewish debate. He can overcome the Gentile debate. Because it's all about Him. He is God. He is King. And we serve Him. That means when we look around at everybody else, we all have to come to this cross on our face too. Do you know Jesus today? Do you really know Him? Have you been saved? Saved from the penalty of your sin that it rightfully deserves? Because you can't really live until you die. You got to give up and come to Jesus today. And Christian, if you've been defeated, me too. Some days worse than others. But I'm not overcome. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world.
So if you need to come and pray today, during this song, you come. If you need to, in your chair where you are, close your eyes. Put your face in your hands. Say, Jesus, I'm done. Save me. Whatever God calls you to do this morning, you respond.